Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse, and I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep, the Ode to Pegasus, a dream tale, by Maria Morawski. First published in Weird Tales, November 1926. Um, I think that was actually its only publication, um, which is kind of crazy because I really like this writer. She's uh, she's got some stuff. I agree. She's quite a stylist. The more you, uh, the more I at least attend to the details of her sentences and paragraphs, the more impressed I am with her control over what is, after all, not her native language. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is, uh, this, as far as I can tell, is her first published story, at least in English. Um, it's in Weird Tales, and uh, it has some distinctions about it that I was tweeting about that I thought uh, you might be interested in hearing and other people might be interested in hearing. Please. Uh, but um, I think we need to give an outline to give it context. Um, sure. Um, I, I feel a little uh, solipsistic here because the first word of the story is Eric, <laughs> but uh, I'm not the Eric involved. Um, Are you sure, yeah, Eric? I'm pretty sure Okay. because you know what happens at the end of the story, and that's not what has happened <laughs> to me. Um, <clears throat> So the story is about Eric, who is a uh, a boy between childhood and adolescence. Um, so I guess he's what we would call the latency period or um, the famous golden age of science fiction, meaning 12. Mm. Um, he's having he, he can't seem to sleep. That's how it begins. But in fact... Um, the the sound of the air going by on what is a perhaps windy night um, and the driving of a weather vane, a nearby weather vane, um, I, I guess lulls him as do the sounds of mosquitoes. Um, and he begins to see the weather vane, which is uh, on top of the garage in this modern suburb, modern by the from the standpoint of 1926 when this was published um the, the garage had been a stable of horse owners uh for horse owners who were previous occupants uh, long long ago uh 50 years perhaps um which is long for a 12 year old apparently the weather vane has on it instead of a rooster where which is never mentioned but i think that's part of Moravsky's uh, brilliance. Uh, there is there, in fact, a flying horse, a winged horse, Pegasus. Um, the reason I say it's brilliant is that the story concerns whether we are awake or asleep. The subtitle, A Dream Tale. And a rooster, of course, would wake us up. But this weather vane has Pegasus on it. And as Eric becomes sleepier, he sees the weather vane and the horse making wider and wider circles until the horse seems to be free of the the garage and lands on the roof of a veranda under his dormer window. And instanter, he finds himself on the back of this thing and he urges it to fly higher and higher and higher, which he loves, although we're told he has a fear of heights. He loves it, but he's called back to Earth by the, the voice of his uh, foster mother, who is very careful of his 
well-being. She doesn't know that he's out of bed. She's just calling him for the morning. He comes down, and what ensues is some discussion about his uh, delicate psyche, soul in Greek, uh, and the word soul does occur in the story. Uh, he wants to do something adventurous, and the stepfather, who says he understands the human mechanism, wants to support him in this idea and suggests that perhaps he should be an aviator, mm -hmm. which is a dangerous occupation in those days. The mother is against it, but she acquiesces, hoping he will eventually decline. But he doesn't. He becomes an aviator. He becomes a very famous aviator, a careful aviator, always looking at the weather. He finally is chosen because of his prominence to be uh, um, a competitor in a New York to San Francisco air race. This is uh, published uh, the year before Lindbergh crosses the Atlantic. So this is a, a big deal thing at the time. It's not like, well, you can just cross a continent. It's beautifully told. Mm -hmm. Each flight is beautifully told. He goes, but before he takes off, he spends the better part of an hour with a penknife given him by his foster mother, carving something onto the left wing of the plane. Um, as he approaches the, the ocean, the Pacific Ocean, way ahead of his competitors, Pegasus comes and flies next to him and says, why have you abandoned me? And he says, I haven't abandoned you. There's an ode to you right there on the wing. Seagulls could read it. And uh, next thing you know, he agrees to go to Pegasus, jumps onto Pegasus's back. He let, lets go of what's called the guide stick. And uh, in the last, in, in the next paragraph, we're told that uh, in the wreckage, they, the twisted thing they found was not him. It was only his body. Mm -hmm. So the, the notion of, the mythological and psychological and spiritual yearning and reality is opposed to to somehow the physical reality. The foster father's uh, idea of mechanism is very important. Uh, in terms of Moravsky as a stylist, um, we're told when we first encounter the living Pegasus that the beating of his wings was harmonious. And then we're told that the sound of the engine um, in his airplane, in Eric's airplane, was unharmonious. Mm -hmm. Moravsky knows what she's doing, and she's making a clear set of distinctions between the body and the soul, the conscious and the unconscious, the mythic and the, the quotidian, and so on. And it opens up a host of questions, um, all of which I think make us ask, what really is valuable? Yeah, um, I was I was very surprised uh, when I looked at the chronology of this story because it's it's uh, in Weird Tales, which is a perfect place for this story. Um, the other story we we covered by her was in a competitor to Weird Tales, and uh, it's called the Spider Woman, nineteen forty story. Um, Terrific story. It was, um, or just Spider Woman, I guess. Um, and it had uh, sort of an internal uh, component, which I also see in this one. 
Um, but what's so striking to me about this story is that she is basically she's written a Lovecraft dream story, um, but she did it prior to Lovecraft writing dream stories for Weird Tales. He had, actually had written them, but they were not published in Weird Tales until later. Um, and the place that they would have been published, I doubt she would have had even close to access to. So it's it's rather striking. There is a particular one I'm thinking of. Um, it's called Cellophaeus, which is a story first published in May 1922 in an in a, uh, amateur journal called The Rainbow, which would have had uh, very limited circulation. You would not see it on the newsstands. It was by subscription and only to amateur amateur journal participants it was edited by his wife uh, lovecraft's wife so it's not uh, uh it was in no way a commercial publication and i, I just want to read the ending of um ode to pegasus and then i want to read the ending uh, a line, couple lines from the ending of cellophaeus and you'll see uh the connection uh but maybe before i do that i'll just tell you uh what cellophaeus is about um cellophaeus is a story um I'll read the first paragraph for part of it. In a dream, Kirani saw the city in the valley, and the sea coast beyond, and the snowy peak overlooking the sea, and the gaily painted galleys that sail out of the harbor towards the distant regions where the sea meets the sky. So that's the first sentence. And we start very differently in this one. Um, Eric could not sleep. There were mosquitoes in his room, and they sang in low, monotonous voices the praises of sleeplessness. Um which is is beautiful writing, but quite different. And she has him slip into sleep, whereas we were already basically started in sleep in, in Lovecraft's uh, Cellophaeus. Um, but both of the characters somehow prefer the unreal life of their dreams, or at least the limited life of their dreams, to, to the mundane realities. And uh, here is the end of um, Ode to Pegasus, the last paragraph. You, you actually summarized it, but I'm going to read the exact language. The mangled thing they found among the steaming wreck of the winning airplane was not Eric. It was only his body, worn to death by the tiresome realities of life. So it's a triumphant story in a certain sense, uh, because he got what he really desired, not the the sort of halfway ascendancy of flying uh, an airplane. He he got the actual Pegasus. Um, and then in Cellophaeus, the final um, paragraph is uh, King, uh, the uh, character in Cellophaeus is, uh, he dreams that he's a king and he's the king of a city. Um, and uh, they call him King Curanes. And so here's the final paragraph of that. And Curanes reigned thereafter over Uthnargai and all the neighboring regions of dream, and held his court alternately in Cellophaeus and in the cloud-fashioned Serenian. His reigns there still, he, sorry, he reigns there still, and will reign happily forever, though below the cliffs of, at Innsmouth, the channel tides played mockingly with the body of a tramp who had been who had stumbled through half deserted village at dawn 
and played mockingly and cast it upon the rocks by by the ivy-covered Trevor Towers, where a notably fat and officially, especially offensive millionaire brewer enjoys the purchased atmosphere of extinct nobility. So, uh, the, this two stories are completely different in sort of who the characters are and stuff, but both end up sort of dead in one sense <laughs> and alive in another sense. Um, what I especially like about... Um, Moravsky's version of what are essentially very, very different stories is that this story itself is the title of the of the inscription on the side of his aircraft, the Ode to Pegasus. Right? We never actually read what he wrote on the side of his aircraft. Um, he says to the Pegasus as Pegasus approaches. Uh, I never forgot you, shouted Eric. He has to shout because of the engine. Look on the outside of the left wing. I have written an ode in your honor. It is scratched on the aluminum so clearly a seagull could read it. <laughs> Apparently seagulls can read. Uh, <laughs> and there's there's a whole other level going on um, in Moravsky's that is quite different in in Lovecraft's. Lovecraft's is about a fallen house, a family that has descended uh, or regressed or become less and weak. And he, he's become a hobo or a, a homeless person or a bum or whatever um, and lives now only as a king in dreams. Whereas in this story, we start right from the very beginning with this fundamentally baffling, but I think essentially important point that I don't think you touched on at all in your in your description of the story. Eric is a foster child. His foster parents are the ones who uh, encourage and worry about him. They love him, but we never find out why he's a foster child. And yet, I think it's essential to half the power of this story, if not more. I, I absolutely agree. Well, I was sort of trying to do a bit of a summary or not hit all of what mm -hmm. I think are the high points. I agree with you. This is one of them um, there. Another work that comes to mind uh, for me with this is uh, La Belle Dame Sans Merci, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. discussed right, uh, a, a classic, classic poem, which someone has um, an experience and is so struck by it, so taken by it, I guess literally taken by it, that is, uh, it takes his soul, it, that when he comes back from fairyland, the, the knight um, who is introduced in the very first stanza, what, what ails the knight at arms alone and sadly loitering, um, what ails him is that he's had this experience with the queen of fairyland, la belle dame sans merci, and he's awakened on the cold hillside and can never get back to that peak experience. And I mean the pun intended. Um, he can never get back to it. In the middle of this story, the Ode to Pegasus, we have this line, yet the airplane rides never gave him as much thrill as that first dazzling ride, meaning the one on Pegasus. So 
he tries, he tries to do what his father, that his stepfather, foster father, I should say, his foster father wants, which is to become an aviator. We're told that the foster father encouraged him because he thought that's what Eric wanted. Mm -hmm. But we're never told that Eric actually wanted it. We're told that his mother, foster mother, didn't want it. And yet she has given him a penknife. That's uh, a nice gift for a boy. But if Mm -hmm. you're worried about danger, maybe that's not the perfect gift to give to a boy. But this is what he takes from her. And he uses her gift to inscribe on the airplane that represents her husband's desire. He marks the mechanical with something lyrical, Mm -hmm. puts an ode on it. Uh, It seems to me that that this fellow in, in Keats, the, the knight who has this peak experience, lives the rest of his life just not – he's tormented by not being able to get it again. I think here we can understand that Eric never really feels what he wants to feel. He never really forgot Pegasus. He's telling the truth when he says that to the Pegasus he imagines during the last uh, stage of the cross-country race. But in this and the Lovecraft that you bring to our attention, we're shown a way out of this sense of horrible longing, which is to die. Mm -hmm. And the question then gets raised, is that really a happy ending? Right. I mean, What is life if the best you can get is death? And that, I would suggest, Jesse, offers us a connection with the fact of these being foster parents rather than parents. Mm -hmm. I mean, if the best you can get from the generation ahead of you are those who want to care for you but really aren't yours, is it any wonder that that you can't really grow up in their mold and find happiness. Mm-hmm. He has no no brothers or sisters that we can tell from this story. Right. So these foster parents who seem loving as they best are, yes. they can, right? They they adopted him or took fostered him, one would suppose, to fill a hole in their lives. They did it for their sakes. Not that they aren't caring for him for his sake, too, but he's there for them. And he wants to fulfill his own desires, which are stronger than the mothers, which are mythic, and stronger than the fathers, which are merely mechanical. So he's, he's he is an adolescent. I mean, he. I think this is a story that might well appeal to a 12-year-old, which is the right age for weird tales. Mm-hmm. There, there's some fascinating th- things to think about. Like, Pegasus is a, a symbol, and uh, we get the description of of the weather vane, um, and that assume uh, it's not, as you point out, a rooster. Um, and it's a weather vane because before the advent of automobiles, the garage used to be a stable. A famous family of horse lovers kept their racehorses there, we're told. Um, And yet they live in an ultra-modern house. Nobody kept horses on that modern street in that up-to-date suburb where Eric's foster parents owned their ultra-modern house. Um, I note also that 
they are the ones who are always focused on him being a foster child, whereas he doesn't, and, and the narrator tells us that too, but uh, when, when he thinks of his foster parents, he doesn't call them foster parents. There's a line on page 660. Eric, his mother, uh, is calling to him from reality. He's dreaming. He heard his mother's voice growing weaker, yet more penetrating than before. So she's calling and calling to him. Eric, it's seven o'clock. Are you up? Um, he heard his foster mother. Sometimes it's his mother. Sometimes it's his foster mother. Now, I can see it being one or the other, but I also was thinking, where are his parents? Why are yeah. they not present? And it's almost as if uh, he is not just Eric. Uh, Eric, the son of the Torrances, uh, son of Edwin Torrance, and uh, whatever the wife's name is. Um, although she 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 has some special attention that I want to point to. Um, it's almost as if he is the son of a of uh, you know Zeus, who's been uh, farmed out to be adopted. He's the son of some god like um, uh, you know the real mythological stories of um, Pegasus and Andromeda and Perseus. He's like one of these characters who has been placed in a modern home <laughs> to be raised. Yeah. I, there's a whole series of books by Rick Riordan that sort of take that that premise that, you know, Zeus is still around and he's still fathering children. <laughs> Percy yeah. Jackson is Perseus, right? In a certain sense. Um, but uh, I also, I just think it's fascinating... Um, with Morofsky talking about, yeah, as you point out, that knife, right? Um, this is uh, begins on page 660 and then goes into um, uh, 661. Edwin Torrance, such a dangerous occupation. She's talking about the uh, husband's plan to make him a pilot. Um, you would hardly allow him to choose it if the boy were your own child, which is pretty savage. Um, she instantly felt the reproach was undeserved by her husband, who had been so fond of the boy and amended her words with an affectionate pat on his shoulder. She admitted that she was too anxious about the boy. Feminine nonsense, all that. Yes, she would try to cure herself of it. It would be selfish to stand in the boy's way should he choose to become a pilot. Secretly, she hoped he would not. Um, and then, as you pointed out, um, that dangerous period between adolescence and youth. This is uh, they try and cure him of his his problems by having him see a, I guess we would call a counselor. Right. Um, and as the years went by, several n nerve specialists went over Eric's consciousness and subconsciousness with a fine-toothed comb. Underneath all of this story, in a way that I don't feel Lovecraft is uh, so engaged with, is, I think, a sense of, of what the psychology of dreams is about. I think Lovecraft is literally just engaging with the dreams that he, he literally is having and saying, wow, this is fant fantastic and fantasy and um, isn't, aren't dreams amazing? Um, whereas here, I think it's, it, it's almost like uh, Jungian. 
like uh, Morosky is she herself has, conscious. Yeah, yeah. She's 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 um, taken in some of these um, early twentieth century ideas and really en- engaged them as a dream story. And we, in fact, are considering doing another um, story very similar to this, at least in one sense that we both thought of it when we read it. So we'll right. see if that happens. Um, so I, I just I, I'm blown away by this very subtle tale let me point to uh from a section that you were just reading both Mm -hmm. before and after in there uh, starting again on the bottom of 659 but going into 660 um i'll remind you that pegasus is a white horse we're Mm -hmm. told that he's a white horse um here is a paragraph that begins um with the 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 suburb i'd like you to listen to the use of the word milk. Mm. Okay. Nobody kept horses on that modern street in the up-to-date suburb where Eric's foster parents owned their ultra-modern house. Interesting, they owned it financially, but in fact, that's them. Mm-hmm. Right? Even the milkman would come shattering the early hours of the morning with the rattling automobile truck. Interesting, this is an era when the word automobile still is an adjective Mm -hmm. as well as a noun. Eric looked curiously down the deserted street, the milky white of the misting dawn, in the misting dawn. It seemed empty. Then some irresistible feeling of ill-directed curiosity made him look upward. The moon was so pale now that it resembled a thin piece of melting ice. The gray roof of the distant ex-stable could not be discerned in the milky mists. Mm -hmm. Only the weather vane shone brightly on the top of its metallic wings reflecting the unseen sunrise. Milk, 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 Mm. milk whiteness 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 contrasting with darkness presumably because sunrise has not occurred yet but quite explicitly within encased in and shattered by the suburb modernity technology so Moravsky, I mean, she didn't have to say white. She didn't have to say that it was the milkman. She could have said delivery boy. She could have said the newspaper boy. I mean, she could have, but she does this so well. She Mm -hmm. uses the language that seems utterly natural for the description, but it builds a set of mythic symbols that, as you say, Jung would, would have understood as growing right out of the collective unconscious. So for for Jung for and for the reader, the question then becomes, I think at the end, is that a happy ending? Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, uh, yes, I, mean, I have spirit, you know, and I, I have dreams and I certainly had them when I was a boy and I and I have them still. Um, but I also have a body and I don't sort of like the idea of thinking of my body as a mangled thing. Mm-hmm. I, I, I want to point out another, so there, there's a, a couple of magic points in the story. Um, and she uses the, she's just really good with language and, um, a little farther down past that milk, those milky mists, it reads the rounds it made now seemed wider and wider. It was as if the horse detached itself from its tether on the steel wire. 
It was growing larger and larger. It flew more and more slowly around the roof's peak. Eric rubbed his eyes and jumped from the bed. And then this is the line that gets me. Strange things began to happen. And if we uh, skip ahead a couple of pages, Eric is now an adult. He's flying in this race. He's incredibly tired, right? Um, He's been flying (laughs) endlessly without sleep. Yet all his being strained like a hound on a leash towards some great experience which was about to be his, the great clouds above sailed lower, became pregnant with some unseen presence. Strange things began to happen. The, uh, the reality of... In fact, there are, there are a couple lines later. Pegasus, cried Eric. Something is wrong with the motor, warned the first layer of consciousness. Pegasus, cried the real Eric. <laughs> so there's dream Eric and real Eric. Yeah. Right? There's the soul Eric, the spirit Eric, and the body Eric. Right? And Murawski comes down, as does Lovecraft, um, but it's kind of questioning. Right? There's a little bit of doubt in our minds at the end. It's a mangled thing not it's not eric well you know that's that's the voice of the narrator mm-hmm. and at that point the narrator clearly cannot be uh, a third person limited coming through the consciousness of eric because eric is gone mm-hmm. uh, unless of course we want to think he's not gone and it is he who believes that that's just a mangled thing which would make that a happy ending but Moravsky gives us loads of justification for seeing all of this as a projection. I mean, the boy is who has the first image of Pegasus um, is, is clearly sleep-deprived, and he sees something in that sort of gray moment when objects take on strange shapes and seem animated to us, even though we know that there shouldn't be, but they seem to move. I've certainly seen that in, mm-hmm. at, at, in Dawn um, situations. And we know that that Eric is absolutely sleep deprived. He is perhaps delirious. When he cries Pegasus uh, and something is wrong with the motor worn, the first layer of mm-hmm. his consciousness, Eric uh, Pegasus cried the real Eric. Maybe that's just another part of his mind, his subconscious. Maybe there is no Pegasus at all. And when he decides to leap from the plane to get on Pegasus's back, if, in fact, he had really done that and Pegasus were real, there wouldn't be that mangled thing on the ground. Mm-hmm. Right? He would have flown off with on Pegasus's back as we were led to believe he actually flew with Pegasus on that first encounter and then was brought back down by Pegasus so that he could come and rejoin the normal routines of his his household. So one way to look at this is that the mangled thing is just um, it's the afterlife of Eric, but Eric is wrong. That Pegasus has been a projection all along. Uh, I don't mean that that's what the story concludes. I'm saying that that's one of the readings mm-hmm. that the story affords. And that this can seem so much a wish fulfillment story and yet make it so hard to find a sense of fulfillment, even going past Keats and embracing the possibility of death. Um, 
tells us just how troubling myth and dreams can be mm-hmm. from Ravsky's viewpoint. She gives us always more to say. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for reading short and deep. Thank you.